Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Praise God. Let me buckle up because we're going to move fast, right? All right. Um, I shared last week the principle that the fire of God will fall on a sacrifice that has been prepared. And there's really, if you look at your outline at the top, there's really two main purposes that I believe the Scriptures highlight for the purpose of the fire of God. The first one, we love it. Number one there, it says, His presence and His power is being revealed in glory. If you remember when the Israelites would follow God, they ended up during the evening time, there would be a fire, pillar of cloud of fire. During the daytime, there would be a cloud. And so God manifested His presence with the cloud and the fire. We also know that Jesus said, this is a scripture that I don't know that I've heard anybody ever preach on it before, but it's interesting. It's right there. I highlighted it. Jesus said this, quote, out of Luke 12, 49, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning, which is the implication that it wasn't. But he came to set it on fire. So the question is, how are you doing in the tending of your own fire? And uh, there's truth in that. The second part of that reason for the fire is to come against sin, rebellion, and it's God's judgment. We know that from the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He said he, he came down. He sent his angelic presence. He actually went to see what was going on in that debauchery, and he brought Lot out and his family out. You know the story of that one. For behold, the day is coming that will burn like a furnace. Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of the book of the Old Testament, in verse it says, the day is coming, behold, that will burn like a furnace. The fire of God is attached and falls on true sacrifice. So I want us to, to look at some factual things I covered last week in summary There's a difference between facts and truth. Not all facts are true. I use the example where Jesus was tempted in the desert. After after he was baptized by John, he goes into the desert led by the Holy Spirit. And while he's in the desert, he fasts 40 days. The first thing the devil does, he comes and he brings a deceptive lie. And he says, if you're the Son of God. So he challenges identity, number one. He always does that as a strategy against us and against Jesus. And the first thing he does, he's such a snake because he, the opportunity, after you've been fasting the natural side for 40 days, I imagine you're kind of hungry. He says, so if you're the son of God, change the stones to bread. Of course, Jesus challenges him. It's fact, I'm hungry. It's a fact that I am the son of God, but I will not do what you've asked me to do because that's not truth. Then he goes on, he goes, well, then let me take you up to the pinnacle. He takes him up, and he shows them all in one moment of time. It says he shows them all the kingdoms of the earth. He says, I will give you the glory and the authority of these kingdoms, the audacity. But Jesus did not challenge Satan on that. Why? Because the first Adam had given up the keys to the kingdom, right? But the second Adam, Jesus, had come back to get the keys, and he's going to... The devil tempts him to short-circuit the process, says, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you the authority of these and the power of these kingdoms. And Jesus then challenged that fact of the fact that Satan had authority over it, 
But Jesus says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. So there's a difference between factual things that the devil tries to present to us. I used an example of the woman I just had recently met in another country. When I did prayer ministry with her, she manifested on one of the nights that I was preaching. The demons were active, let's just put it that way, and disrupting the service. We did a mini deliverance on her. The next day she came and we did an intense deliverance. And in the process, she revealed the following facts. When she was three, her biological father left her. From four years old until 13, she was molested by her stepfather. She left and joined a gang. She became a prostitute. She became a drug addict. It was all factual things that had occurred to her. And she was also believing. See, the facts connected. The devil had convinced her, you ought to be ashamed. You're a filthy woman. All the choices you've made. When I told her the story of the woman who came to Jesus, who was, quote, unclean, the Pharisees said, and she wept at his feet, took her hair, and wiped his feet. And the Pharisees said, you know, if he was really a prophet, he would know that she's an unclean woman. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, you know, custom is you're supposed to wash my feet. You didn't do that. This woman has come and washed them with her tears. Now, let me ask you a question, Pharisee. If someone is forgiven a great debt versus someone who has less debt, who do you think loves more? He said, well, I suppose the one who's been given much debt freedom. He says, you have spoken well. This woman, she has been a deep sinner, but her freedom is now. She wept, and the woman we were ministering to, when that revelation of the truth overcame the facts, she, that demon went out with a scream. People in the house said, oh, my gosh, we heard it go out, right? See, you see the kingdom of truth. The sun sets us free, and whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Proverbs says it this way, 23, verse 7, he says, if a man or woman believes in their heart, so it is whether it's true or false. I can't tell you the number of times when we do inner healing ministry, it's to identify the truths or the half-truths that are not believed and that need to be completely believed. Jesus is the truth, and he's the way. Amen? So now I shared also that it's a fact that the United States is the most wealthiest nation on the face of the earth ever. The number of people... Jo uh, basically enjoying the freedom and also the wealth of the United States is true. It's a fact. But it's also true that the divorce rate is higher than it's ever been. The suicide rate is higher than it's ever been. The walking away from the church, 70% less people attend church since 1999 than ever before. The giving to the church is lower than it's ever been. During the Great Depression, you can look this up in Barner Statistics, Christians gave 3.3% on average during the Great Depression to the church. Today, it's only 2.5%. We got more money, and we give less. Fewer people are coming. Those are the Christians who attend church. Here's some other statistics that are frightening to me because it will prove whether your fire is on or off. 
Statistically, it says this. 37% of the people that come to church never give anything. Hello? Can you imagine going to a restaurant or a movie theater every week and never paying? How long would that last? I'm just saying. I told you last week, I'm not after your money. I'm just trying to point out, where's your heart? How's your fire doing? Because there are indications of that. I'll just leave that alone for the rest of this moment. Um, but let me call up this, someone after last week's sermon, if you can call that diagram up of tithe giving and the lotto. This person sent me this uh, email and said, you know, after your sermon, I was kind of convicted <laughs> about this. <laughs> now, we can laugh at it, but you know what? When the Powerball hits about 100 million, go stand at one of the little grocery stores and find out how many people line up to get a Powerball. They're not lining up to give tithes and offerings, but they are lining up to get, why? Because what's the belief system? The belief system, if I get, if I hit the Powerball and I get the multi-million in the lotto, I'll be happy and everything will be fine. Guess what? Go look at the statistics of the people who hit those and find out how their life is. It's not pretty, I'm telling you. You go, you go look at yourself. Just don't, just look it up. You see what happens. Here's the situation that I believe the Lord wants us to understand. Let's turn to Mark's gospel, chapter 4, and let's begin in verse 18. Jesus spoke of this rich man in Luke's gospel that had a whole lot of stuff, and he decided, I need to make room for more of my stuff. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build barns, and then I'll be able to eat and drink, and I'll store away all my stuff for the future. And Jesus said he was a fool because tonight he dies, and then who's got his stuff? Well, in this scripture, Jesus deals with, in Mark 4, let's begin, let's look at verse 18. It says, the seed falls and the thorns that represent those who hear God's word, and too quickly the message is crowded out. Listen, look what he lists here. The worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. Wealth, worries, and the desire for other things crowd out the seed that could take root that would produce great fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Turn with me to Revelation 3. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea, and this is what I'm very much concerned about in the United States, and I challenge my own heart on this. Revelation 3, this particular church, you know, of the seven churches in Revelation, this one probably gets a lot of the abuse for the fact that they didn't realize how far they had fallen. In Revelation 3, and beginning in verse 14, the church at Laodicea, it says, the angel came to Laodicea and gave this message. Verse 15, I know the things you do. They're watching. 
You're neither hot or cold, and I wish you were one or the other, but since you're lukewarm and not hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say, here's the deception, here's what they believed factually, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need anything. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you'll be rich. The garments for me so you'll be able to stand unashamed by your nakedness. Ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. One of the fire putter outers is the fact that we got so much stuff that we think we're okay. They attributed wealth and possession and all that they needed as spirituality, and it wasn't so. In fact, we've been in places in the world, I've been in the poorest nations of the world, and we just came back where there were only three walls, I'm sorry, one wall out of four in one of the houses that we visited in uh, Costa Rica. And yet those people, when we asked, what do you need? We want more of God. You mean you don't want walls on your house? And he asked, he said, you know what I'd really like to have is I'd like to have an audio Bible so that I could hear the word every day. He's sitting in there with a shower curtain on the sides of his wall, and he says, the only thing I need is to be able to hear the word of God. And my wife, praise God, bought 12 of them and shipped them over, and I just got the bill. They're there. <laughs> praise God. We're given. Hallelujah. Right? But here's the point. They knew what they needed, even though they didn't have much. But this church said, we've got everything we need. He says, you're wretched blind. Hello, America. I'm glad that the economy is doing all of its thing, the lowest this and the lowest that. And it's great. God's blessing us. But he also said this in Deuteronomy 31. When I bring you into the land of milk and honey, Deuteronomy 31, 20, when you eat your fill and you thrive, don't forget your God. Turn away, reject, and break my covenant. That's right. Beware. He warned us, and we see that pattern over and over again in the, New, in the Old Testament. All right, let's pick up. Look at, behold, I stand. Let's look. Let me just tell you the story based on the, on the time frame here. In 1 Kings, I've listed this. In number, in 1A, there below the day is coming, like it will burn like a furnace. You remember the story in 1 Kings. When you look at the fire falling, Elijah challenges the demonic hordes of Jezebel and Ahab. In fact, it says in, in chapter 16 of 1 Kings that he was the worst and it displeased God. He worshiped evil. Jezebel was wicked. They had all these warlocks and the 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 immorality of Asherah. So Elijah calls down no rain. It causes all of that trouble. to ha When they look for Elijah, they can't find him. Finally, Elijah appears before Ahab and says, I'll tell you what, let's stop wavering to between two points. If God is God, let's worship him. If, if Baal is God, let's worship him. Bring all your warlocks. Bring me all your mediums. Bring me all your psychics. Bring Baal. Bring Asherah. And let's meet on Mount Carmel. We've been there and stood there, right? And beautiful. And they've got a monument there to Elijah, the prophet. 
And you know the story. He then says, go ahead, you go first. Call on Baal. And they're doing all their dances, and they're cutting themselves, and blood streaming out. And Elijah says, well, maybe your God is in the toilet, and he can't come right now. Or, or maybe he's got taken a nap, you know. He's mocking him. And finally says, okay, enough is enough. Put my bowl there on my altar. Go get the water. Pour it on my altar. You want to see fire burn? I'll show you fire. And he calls unto God. God answers by fire. And he says, now, go and execute all the Baal prophets. They kill 450 of these warlocks that day. Jezebel then puts a contract out on Elijah. You can read the rest of the story, but I want you to see. He answers by fire to destroy the wicked and to demonstrate who he is. We see again, we won't turn there, but it's listed here again in your scriptures in First Chronicles 21, 7 through 24. David sins by drawing a census. He thought, you know what, I want to see how, much, how big an army I got. He didn't ask God if that was something. So in his pride, because he's now been so victorious, he calls for a census to find out how many soldiers he's got. God is not pleased with him. He then says, you're going to be judged for this. And so what he does is David then says, I need to repent. And he goes and guess this is actually the location of where the temple was built and will be built. He goes to this location and there's a threshing floor there. And the threshing floor, the owner of the threshing floor, David says, I must have this location to build my altar and to do my repentance to call upon God that he would answer. And the threshing floor owner says, King, just take it. He goes, no. How can I possibly give God something that is not mine? I can't take somebody else's stuff and give it to God. So he buys it at full price, and you can see that in, in that First Chronicles 21. It says, he builds the altar, God, he repents before God, and God answers by fire and uh, falls on the whole sacrifice. And it says in prophecy, this will be the location of where the temple of God will be built. And it has been built, and it will be built again. <laughs> Amen? So we see that God answers by fire. Then we went to 1 Corinthians 3, and I shared with this that one day you and I are going to be having to stand before God, and everything that you have done will be put to the fire test. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, you've done it in your pride, you've done it to, to impress men or women or whatever, and it's not in God's stead, then that stuff's going to burn up. But if you've done it genuinely unto God, that will be as a reward unto those who stand before him. And so there's a fire test coming. And the question is, the good news is, he's speaking to Christians at the Corinth church. He says, you may have done all this stuff for your own stuff, but you're still going to get saved. You may barely get in by the skin of your teeth, but the good news is you're going to get saved. The bad news is, those who are not saved... Let's go on. The fire is coming to destroy the arrogant and the wicked. Turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. The last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament says this, verse 1, Malachi 4.1, the Lord of heaven's army says, the day of judgment is coming. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. We had this discussion yesterday judgment. How would you like to go to the judgment without Jesus? The, the Bible's clear. It says he becomes our advocate, our lawyer. He's the one who's the high priest. We just spent several weeks, Lisa Moore preached on this, about Jesus as the qualified high priest. 
It qualified him. And on that day that you stand there in judgment, Jesus is there as your advocate lawyer. And when he calls up all the sins and everything that have been confessed, Jesus says, not guilty, not guilty. I paid for it. I paid for it. I paid for it. You don't think that's going to turn your heart like, I know what I deserve. But I thank you, God, that you have plea bargained me right out of this mess by your blood. Amen? But those who do not know him, woe unto them. Let's read on. The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. And on that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. Well, but pastor, I thought God loved me. I thought he loves everybody. This theology that's right now out there that says there's nobody going to hell and there's no judgment coming, I don't know what book you're reading. He spoke more of hell, three times more of hell than he did about heaven. Look it up. Go, go look up your scriptures and count them. So we see here it says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and you will go free, leaping with joy and like calves let out in the pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet. Doesn't that sound like Luke chapter 10, verse 19? It says, I've given you all power and authority over the dar darkness. You shall walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Doesn't that sound like that? You bet it does. We will see that this. Remember, verse 4, to obey the law of Moses, my servant decrees, regulations that I gave at Mount Sinai. Look, I'm sending the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Otherwise, I would come and strike the land with a curse. All right, let's get a New Testament version. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Just before Peter is martyred, he writes this. 2 Peter chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, this is my second letter to you, my friends, dear friends, and both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. In other words, he's told them this before. I want you to remember what the holy prophet said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. Most importantly, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mock the truth, following their own desires. You think that's happening today? <laughs> when they're making Netflix movies that says Jesus was a homosexual and all the apostles were drunkards, you got these demonic, God help these mockers and the arrogance of their pridefulness. They will mock the truth. They'll follow their own desires. They will say the following. What happened to the promise? Jesus is coming again. From the times of the ancestors, everything's the same since the world was created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens and the word of his command. He brought the earth out of the water, surrounded it. He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. 
But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is a th- like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord really is being slow about his promise. He isn't because some people need to think. Why? Be patient. He does this because he doesn't want anyone destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything around us will be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live? Looking forward to the day and hurry it along on that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt in flames. But look, we're looking forward to the heavens and the new earth that he has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. And dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. I don't think it gets any clearer than that. You know, I used to be on fast attack submarines and the Trident boats that my company designed. We carried enough nuclear weapons, and that's, I'm, I'm out of touch here 25 years now. But I can tell you right now, the stuff that's being carried around in the oceans, this is true. One of our submarines can take down a third of the earth. And the Russians have three times the submarines, and now the Chinese are making them. Look at the missiles. and It is, it is all staged. Right. And you've got North Korea and Iran all working on getting missiles so that the kings of the east and the Persia prophesied in Ezekiel will come about. We've shared on that before. All right. I want you to see that Peter said it. It's coming. Now let's get a little more lighthearted in my remaining time here, okay? Is that good? You guys all right? I want you to appreciate the fact that there is a judgment coming. And you'll be found in one place or the other depending on what you believe. What you believe about Jesus is important, but the demons also believe in Jesus. They know, he, but they don't do what Jesus said to do. So what you do with Jesus is as important what you say you believe about Jesus, Right? Okay, it's not works righteousness. I recognize we had people saved here this week and last week, and I praise God for that. But it's not by works, it's by grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace, His grace, you have been saved. Not any of the works that we do. It's because we don't want to boast about it because you do great works. But once you're saved... There better be works following you, or you're going to have nothing at the judgment. It's going to be burned up. You're going to be standing there with nothing but sawdust and, and dust in your hand like, oh. But, but Jesus, but Jesus. Okay, now we're going to get lighthearted. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, I love this scripture. Here was a Roman soldier, Cornelius. Okay. Cornelius, he was, I want you to see the blessing. In fact, because of Cornelius' faith and his activity, God changed the whole interaction between Jew and Gentile. 
and he changed the dietary laws as well. This is wild. Look at what happens. Cornelius, it says in verse 1, in Caesarea there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. So he liked meatballs, right? He was a devout, if, man, if you have not had delicious meatballs, get Pat and Tesh to, oh my goodness. They bless me on my birthdays and other times. With, all right, I'm off track. I'm thinking of lunch already here. Okay. Verse 2, he was a devout, God-fearing man, and everyone in his household. So look at the favor. I want you to see what attracts the favor of God. He was a devout man, God-fearing, and so was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, number one. He prayed regularly to God, number two. One afternoon, he has a vision. Angel appears, and look at what he says. Verse 5, it says, the angel replies, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Remember the scripture says, give to the poor and you lend to God and he'll be a debtor to no man. You give money to take care of Nepal and Mozambique and guess what? You start running a bank account tab with him in heaven. That's what the word says. And so, not that we're after a bank account, but it is treasure in heaven. Remember we saw that scripture last week. Don't store up treasure on earth, store it up in heaven. Right? Okay. So we start to see here, it says, your prayers have gone and they've been noticed by God. As soon as the angel, verse 7, was gone, Cornelius called the household servants. They go and they meet up with Peter. Peter sees the sheet come down and clean. He can't eat unclean things. He says, don't you say anything that's unclean. If I say it's clean, it's clean. He shifts that. Cornelius, he then goes to Cornelius' house. Turn the page, look at 44. Verse 44, it says, Peter was saying these things when the Holy Spirit fell, and they were listening to the message. The Jewish believers came with Peter, were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit was now poured out to the Gentiles. The whole house gets saved and baptized in fire. So I want you to see what attracts the favor of God. Well, let's go on. When you look at this whole favor, drawing favor, look at number three there. The sacrifice of praise. We see this in Hebrews 13. The sacrifice of praise continually. The fruit that's on your lips of thanksgiving. I was having a really hard few days. Woke up at 3.30 this morning. I said, well, I'm not just going to lay in bed and like, okay. So I just thought I'd get up and torment the devil. So I went upstairs, got the coffee on, and I just went started down. I said, I know one thing. When I'm having some rough times, spiritual warfare, there's a bunch of stuff going on. People have been hurt, people sick, cancer, calls morning, night. I said, you know what? I'm just going to praise God. And I started going down my list of what I could be thankful for. Offering a sacrifice of praise. My feelings, they were in another place. It's not about my feelings. I'm now declaring factual truth to one who inhabits the praise of his people. Thankfulness opens the doors, right? The gateways of thankfulness, right? That's a discipline that draws the favor of God. And so, number one, 3A, sacrifice of praise. B, good works and sharing with those who are in need. In fact, it says there in verse 16, that sacrifice pleases God. You want to please God? Give. Take care of the poor. Help those who are in need. C, fellowship. Don't neglect the meeting together as some of you do. So in other words, he's telling the Hebrew people there in, in chapter 10, verse 25, 3C, 
Some of them didn't like to go to church that much. Tweak, tweak, right? I encourage you, especially as you see the day of the, of the Lord drawing near, come. Why? Because iron will sharpen iron. You'll come into a family relationship. Some people will annoy you. Some people do things that you don't like, and you'll get judgmental and critical, and God will talk to you, and then you'll get dressed up, and then he'll, you'll say, I'm sorry, and then God will get you more and more mature. Amen? That doesn't happen in your family? Go, go hang around your family. Put all the grandkids in one room after church and have lunch. Okay? And, all the, and, and let, them, let the kids, the, all my kids bring their dogs. So we'll have three dogs, grandkids, lunch happening all in my, it's like, help me. And I'm trying to watch the football game. <laughs> and then the Lord will tweak my flesh. So what's more important? The 49ers losing? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> How about that, Mike? Uh, or the grandkids, fellowship. I'm messing. Okay, let me move on. Okay. <laughs> I had to go there. <laughs> it was prophetic. Remember, they said the Chiefs would win, and the prophet, and then the, they've said now that now that the Chiefs have won, the Chiefs of revival will rise. It'll be a 50-year uh, celebration, and we're going to see it. We're going to see it. And guess what? When, when presidents of Brazil and the Send and thousands of youth fill in stadiums, you get ready. God is coming. The day is coming. It's going to be dark, but it's going to be so light because the light's going to shine in the darkness. We're praying that President Trump's going to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Come on. That would drive some people really, really happy. Can you imagine him standing up there saying, let's all pray in the Holy Ghost <laughs> at one of his rallies? Oh, my. Okay, I'm really off track now. I get in trouble. You're so political. You know, you know, now I'm off the track. But let me just say this. I don't know how to compartmentalize life and platforms and politics. I don't know how you do that. Go back and study. We're going to have a men's, uh, men's gathering breakfast, and we're going to look at the history of the leaders of this country, the forefathers who stood there and looked at what they did. You had pastors in the Congress. and All right, just leave it there. I, I'm not trying to be offensive. But I don't know how to compartmentalize these things. Okay, moving right along. So we see Cornelius is blessed. Now look at the other things that draw the favor of God. D, what draws favor? The practice of truth, wisdom, loyalty and kindness. I've listed a bunch of scriptures there. In Exodus, we know that Moses said, if I have found favor with you, God, show me your ways that I might understand you more fully and enjoy more of your favor. Exodus 33, 13. I have found favor, but I want more favor. How do I find favor? Show me your ways. Let me understand so that I might be encouraged by your more favor. Proverbs 3, 3 through 4 says, store these commands in your heart. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. That's why we got to honor like a Miss Nancy and a Phil. When you see loyalty over years and years, some people are in and they're out and in. First time they get offended, they run. Come on, that's not family. There's no perfect church or I couldn't be here. <laughs> right? Go on, he says this, he says, Luke 2.52, at 12 years old, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus is 12. They lose him for three days, right? They go into Jerusalem, and on the way back, one day out of the city, they realize 
where's our son, Jesus? They go back, and they find him three days later instructing the Pharisees in the temple. Imagine that. And of course, he tells his mom, didn't you know I'd be about my dad's business? That's not good enough, son. You, know, you gave mama a... Re- it's not good when you lose God and you're trying to find God. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Okay, in, in Hebrews it says this, Hebrews 5.8, Even Jesus, the Son of God, learned obedience by the things he suffered. See, in his flesh, he was totally God, but totally man. He laid down his God power to model for us. A man empowered by the Holy Spirit could do greater things than Jesus did because he went to the Father, and greater work shall you do. So then he said, this qualified him. His suffering and obedience that Jesus learned qualified him to be the perfect high priest. This is so good for us. When you make a choice, your flesh wants to go off in one direction. Man, we all got that battle. I've had mine this week. And you choose not to. I was celebrating because, you know, God, praise God, I'm not going there. We're going to just get up at 3.30 and we're just going to worship you, God. Worship you. And in the midst of it, that qualification somehow draws the favor of God. And then we all come together with all of our little favors and all of our giftings. And you saw it here today, and God starts multiplying the favor. And that's why marriages get healed. People who are hurting and demonized or sick or broken or fighting cancer or fighting addictions, we come together as a family, and the empowerment of God falls on the favor of that sacrifice, and more and more people come, and then you become the army that is now equipped in the Holy Ghost. You go out to your workplace. You go out to the places where you've been, where you're coaching, where you're doing, and guess what? God draws them in because the weak and the broken, they see with the light on you, and you draw them in, and they get saved, and then it multiplies again, and the family can keeps growing. This is how it's supposed to work. So let's get over our complacency. Let's get over it. And let's start asking God to send the fire. All right, you've been really patient, I know. So let's stand. Our prayer is, God, we want more of the fire. I'm going to invite the ministry team. You know who you are. Come on up if you're, you're trained and released. Come on up, ministry team. We know that the favor of God is attracted to, we read it, prayer, giving, loyalty, kindness, fellowship, and actively in pursuit of the word in application. Prayer. We do prayer, by the way, Wednesday mornings if you're free, 9 to 1030 Giving, loyalty, kindness, fellowship, active application of the word in your life, his ways. His ways are not our ways. God, I pray now in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would activate this body of believers. I know, I'm so proud. I, I, I brag, and this is a good brag, I brag on y'all all the time. 40 Days for Life, Lifeline Pregnancy, House of Mercy, the jail, the juvenile detention center, the hospitals, overseas ministries, 
mission trips, Trinity Landing, House of Mercy on the Outreach, prayer ministry. Over and over it goes, supporting other ministries, global awakening, global awareness, global legacy, Nepal, Israel, Mozambique, Colombia. God, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus that you would bring glory to yourself, Lord. Bring glory to yourself, Lord. Let your people have an awareness of desire. Lord, put, show us the combustibles that will bring this fire, the combustible of prayer, purity, purpose, power, fellowship. Bring the combustibles, God. Let there be a, a fire burn, a flash fire. Let there be a flash fire, God. And let it go from here. Let it go to the nations. Let it go to the state. Lord, to our, across the United States, we're hearing all the prophecies, all the warnings and all the blessings that are coming. Lord, I ask that there would not be one here that would be lost. Not one, God. You would move so powerfully that the love of God convicts and draws them. And anyone who walks on this campus they, or drives by, God, I pray that they be drawn to a place where they find the love of God that is active and alive. So, Lord, I pray now, let the Laodicean spirit go in Jesus' name. We are not rich without you. We are not well off without you. Let us not be like the rich fool who thought they had everything and did nothing except build more. Lord, I pray, no foolishness, God, no, no deceptions, no lies. Let the, let the seed go down that the lure of the wealth of the world, the riches and the cares of life, they are not able to draw us away from the 30, 60, and 100-fold. God, I ask you to activate this Holy Spirit. It's only by your purpose, your power, that this is even possible. But we've tasted, we've seen. The miracles are starting to flow. The salvations are coming. We, we're not satisfied, God. Multiply it, multiply it, multiply it. Let your people now, when they walk out, the mission field is right outside that door. So, God, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to just move powerfully. Dreams, vision, revelation. Laying on of hands to see the miracles come. Those hear, hearing by live stream, we pray the blessing of the Lord goes right through the circuit to you right now in the name of Jesus. We say yes and amen. God bless you all. Thank you. Don't forget, we have cake and coffee for Miss Nancy right outside. We're going to have cake before lunch. Hallelujah. That must be God. Don't forget, we'll see you on Wednesday night. Hebrews Bishop is going to be preaching on faith. You're not going to want to miss it. Praise God. <laughs>